Well, hey, welcome to the First Church. So glad you guys are joining us online today. My name's Chad, and this is normally the part in the service where I welcome in our one other campus, our Stone Canyon family. But today, I get the privilege of welcoming in hundreds of different campuses that are meeting all throughout Northeast Oklahoma. Because even though today we're not meeting in one of our typical physical locations, North Garnett or Stone Canyon, we are still meeting. We are worshiping together, and our praise is going up to God from all over the 918 and beyond. So we're just so excited that you are here today, that you are worshiping with us, that you are participating in this time of study of God's Word. And honestly, I believe this is important because we always teach around here that the church is not a, a place, but the church is a people. And honestly, I think the world... They need to see that now more than ever. Because when everybody is practicing social distancing, we need to make sure we don't fall into the trap of social isolation. When the world is at its worst, the church needs to be at its best. So we are so glad that you're here, so glad that you're joining us for worship. But I have to admit, even though I believe this is a really good thing, a really cool thing that we have the technology, God's blesses with the technology to be able to do this, I have to admit... This is a little different because I'm used to preaching to an auditorium full of people and now I'm preaching to a huge auditorium with just a handful of people in it. Members of our praise team and also other staff members who are here, they're setting out, but they're sitting six feet apart from one another, so that's kind of weird, but still, it's a good thing. I know you guys are joining from home, and you're probably watching from your living room or uh, maybe from your kitchen, wherever. Maybe you're eating your Fruity Pebbles and your PJs right now, and that's cool. That's awesome, but it is different, and if there's one word that I could use to describe what we've been experiencing over the past few days and weeks as a community, as a country, it's definitely the word different. We're living in different times. I mean, honestly, I've never seen so much change happen so fast since probably 9-11. I mean, just think about what we've experienced over the past few weeks. Broadway shows and concerts canceled. March Madness canceled. I'm still not quite over that. Disney World and Disneyland closed. The NHL, uh, PGA, NASCAR, all canceled. Local businesses closed. Schools are called off. Gyms are closed. Dining restaurants are closed. And even we as the church, we're meeting from our homes. It's very, very different. We're being told that we're not allowed to hug people. We're not allowed to shake hands. And when we do see people in public, we have to stay at least six feet away from them at all times. I mean, that's a little crazy. It's not what we're used to. It's amazing how much change has happened just over the past few days and weeks. But in a world that is rapidly changing, I think we need to remember that there are some things that never change. My daughter, Addie, she turned three this past week on Tuesday, actually, and we threw a birthday party for her the week before, and that was great because that was before we had the limit of only 10 people gathering at one time, so we were actually able to throw her a party, but I wasn't able to be with her on Tuesday on her actual birthday. I was asked to go to a funeral of somebody who was very, very close to me out of town, and so I had to be away from her, and I hated that, but my family, they understood, but I also wanted to still let me be a part of the celebration. So that morning when Addie woke up, uh, Allison, my wife, and Alex, my son, they decided to sing happy birthday to her at the breakfast table, and Allison filmed it, but here's the thing. Addie didn't want them singing happy birthday to her. She wanted to sing it to herself. Take a look at what happened. Happy birthday to you. Happy 
about your people. <laughs> Some things never change. My daughter was still going to celebrate her birthday. That's not going to change. Her sassiness, I got a feeling it's going to be around for a while. I wish that would change, but I don't think it's going to. Some things will never change. People are still going to celebrate birthdays and anniversaries. People are still going to seek love and show love. People are still going to develop friendships, and those friendships are going to develop and grow even deeper. People still want to be around one another. Our world may be chaotic right now, but some things never change. Little kids are still going to want to hug their parents, and parents are going to want to return those hugs. And no matter what happens, everyone in life wants to live a life that matters. Everyone wants to live with purpose. Some things will never change. But above everything else, one thing that will never change is God's promise to always be with us. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, it says this. God says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I love that. It's a promise straight from God to us. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And I think we need to remember that, especially during a time such as this. Let me put it this way. In the midst of a rapidly changing and chaotic world, God's promise to be with us never changes, never fails. God's promise to be with us never changes and it never fails. And I think it's important for us to remember this truth, especially when we experience storms in life. And I think we're all going through a storm right now, aren't we? And there's no passage of Scripture that better illustrates that than a scene that we find in the life of Jesus in Mark chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles or a Bible app on your phone or tablet, go ahead and look up with me Mark chapter 4. That's where we're going to be camped out today. That's where we're going to study. And we're going to look at verses 35 through 41 together. You can also look this up on your First Church app, and we'll have the Scripture printed there along with notes, and you can follow right along with the sermon. Now, here's how Mark sets up this scene. Basically, Jesus has been teaching near the Sea of Galilee, and he's been teaching all day long. And as Jesus taught, more and more people came to hear him. Crowds were forming, and there's a huge number of people that came out that day to see him. They weren't practicing social distancing at that point. So tons of people came to see Jesus, and the crowd got so large, so big... That they couldn't see Jesus anymore. They couldn't hear Jesus anymore. So Jesus comes up with a plan. He decides to get into a boat just off the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Yes, I have a boat on stage. And since Jesus taught from a boat, I figured I could teach from a boat today, at least for a little while. Jesus stood in a boat just off the Sea of Galilee. Now, it wasn't a boat like this one. It would have been kind of a rustic wooden boat, fishing boat that could have held probably 12 to 15 guys because Jesus and his disciples got in it. It would not have been a boat like this. Don't think about a yacht or maybe a fishing boat that you might, um, that you might see at Bass Pro Shop. Don't think of a John boat or anything like that. Just think of this large wooden rustic fishing boat. That's what Jesus got in. And he stood from the fishing boat and taught the people. And he kind of created this natural amphitheater so that people could hear him and people could see him. And as he taught all day long, Jesus got more and more tired. In fact, he got so tired that he needed a break. Jesus was worn out. His disciples were worn out. And so Jesus says to them in Mark chapter 4, he says, let us go over to the other side. Let us take a break. Let's go over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee where the crowds aren't, and let's just relax for a little bit. Let's recoup. Let's get refreshed. 
and then we'll go back at it again. So that's exactly, that's exactly what happens. They travel across the Sea of Galilee to the other side to take a break. Now, the Sea of Galilee, and I've got a picture of it right here, is typically a pretty calm, beautiful body of water. Some of you guys may have actually been here before and seen the Sea of Galilee, but the Sea of Galilee is a kind of a unique body of water. It sets 600 feet below sea level, and it's surrounded by mountains and hills, the highest of which is about 2,000 feet. So basically it's calm most of the time until winds will come down those mountains and hills and they will get trapped on the water. And within an instant, without any warning, a massive storm can form. And that's exactly what happens in our passage. Jesus and his disciples set out for the other side of the sea and everything is calm. And then all of a sudden the storm is upon them. Let's read on and see what happens. Mark chapter 4 starting at verse 37. It says, a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, in our English translation, it says that a furious storm or squall came upon them. And in the original Greek, the words that Mark uses are these words. Mega seismos. That's where we get our word seismic from. What Mark is letting us know is this wasn't a small ordeal. This was a storm of catastrophic consequences. This was a huge deal. And the disciples felt as if they were very much in danger. And here's the thing. They had no time to prepare for the storm. Matthew gives us this little detail in his account. Matthew, in chapter 8, verse 24, says, Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. So here's what we know. Jesus and his disciples, they're in a boat. And the storm is bad. Really, really bad. So bad that the wind is beating up against the sides of the boat. So bad that the water is coming in over the sides of the boat. And the disciples, they're terrified. They're scared for their lives. And in this moment, you know what they're doing? They're hitting the panic button. No, 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 no. They're saying, no, this can't be. Jesus, you're the one that told us to get in the boat. Jesus, you should be protecting us. No, this isn't how it's supposed to work out. They're hitting the panic button. But as they're hitting the panic button, you know what Jesus is doing? He's sleeping on a pillow. They're panicked. Jesus is at peace. Mark here is presenting us with a definite contrast that we need to pay attention to. They're panicked. He's at peace. And so what happens? They go to Jesus. They wake him up. He said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Jesus wakes up. He lifts his head from the pillow. He walks out to the edge of the boat. 
and he just speaks to the storm. He speaks to the storm and he says, quiet, be still. In other words, knock it off. And immediately the wind and the waves die. Just like that. The miracle isn't that the storm stopped. Storms eventually stop. The miracle is that they stopped at the very moment that Jesus spoke to them. And the disciples, they don't know what to do. As strange as this passage is, things are about to get even more strange because Jesus turns to his disciples, and you remember in the passage we just read what he says to them? He says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why are you so afraid? The disciples are probably thinking, Jesus, what do you mean why are we so afraid? Did you not just see that storm? Have you already forgotten about the huge storm that was just upon us? And I think Jesus is wondering a different question. The disciples are wondering, did you forget about that big storm? And Jesus is wondering, did you forget who's in the boat with you? Jesus is trying to teach them something extremely important here. Because I'm not sure if they've quite realized who Jesus is. That's why later on at the end of our passage it says this. It says, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now I want you to pay careful attention to something. At the beginning of our story, the disciples are terrified of the storm. By the end of our story, they're terrified of Jesus. And they ask this question, who is this? It's an important question. Probably the most important question those disciples on that day could have asked. And really, it's probably the most important question that we could ever ask. Who is this? Who is this man? Because at this point, the disciples, they hadn't quite come to grips with the real identity of Jesus. They weren't quite sure who they were following. They still had to realize who Jesus really was. And here's the thing. How we answer that question, who is this man, will determine how we live life. Will determine how we respond to storms. Whether we, will well, whether we will respond with panic or with fear. Because here's the thing. When you know the one who can command the winds and the waves, the wind and the waves, they don't seem so scary anymore. Let me put it this way. In the presence of Jesus... Our fears assume their proper size. Let me say that again. In the presence of Jesus, our fears assume their proper size. Because here's the thing. Storms are going to come. Whether we like it or not, storms are going to come. It's just a fact. The Bible never says if you follow Jesus, your life will be free from storms. It never says that. Storms are going to come. Even the disciples in the passage we just read experienced that. I mean, they're doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. Jesus was the one that told them to get in the boat. Jesus was the one who told them to go across the Sea of Galilee to the other side. They're following Jesus' instructions perfectly. And yet they still experience a storm. Storms are going to come whether we like it or not. 
And typically, when I preach a message like this on storms in life or dealing with fear or anxiety, typically in a sermon like this, I will make a statement like this. I'll say, there are only two types of people on earth. Those who are experiencing storms or those who are about to experience a storm. But I'm not going to say that today. I typically would, but I'm not going to say that today. You know why? Because today, all of us are experiencing the same storm together. We're in a unique period of time, a period of time none of us wants to be in, but we're in it, and we're in it together. This COVID-19 crisis, it's not just a local issue or a state issue or even a national issue. It's a global crisis. It's a crisis that is affecting all of us. Now, I understand that it's affected some in different ways than others, and I understand that it's affected some in more serious ways than others. But it's still affecting and influencing all of us. Right now, we are all experiencing the same storm together. And the question that we need to ask is this. How are we going to respond? How are we going to respond to this storm? With fear or with faith? Now, I think we all understand from the passage that we just looked at, Jesus wants us to respond in faith, but what does that look like? Guys, it doesn't mean that we ignore the storm. It doesn't mean that we go through our life pretending as if the storm doesn't exist. It doesn't mean that we're not smart in how we handle the storm. It doesn't mean that we don't use common sense practices or anything like that. No, it doesn't mean that, but what it means is we don't let fear cripple us. What it means is we don't let fear get the best of us. What it means is we don't let fear keep us from living the life that Jesus has called us to live. What it means is the storms we face, they don't get to define our life. What it means is the storms we face, we know, won't get the last word over our lives. I once heard someone say this, peace doesn't come by trying to find a lake without a storm. Peace comes when you invite Jesus into your boat. And I think that's so true because Jesus came to give us peace. In fact, he even says that in John 14, verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now, I want you to notice something. Jesus came to give us peace, but not peace as the world gives. He came to give us a different type of peace, a deeper form of peace. See, the world defines peace as the absence of conflict. The world defines peace as the absence of chaos. But that's not how Jesus defines peace. No, his definition of peace is longer lasting than that. His definition of peace is deeper than that. His definition of peace is more full and complete. You know how Jesus defines peace? Not as the absence of conflict but as the presence of God in your life. Let me put it this way. True peace isn't the absence of storms from your life, but the presence of God in your life. That's true peace as Jesus defines it. Because when you have God present in your life, it's not just that you see and you recognize the storm in front of you, but you're able to see through it. 
few months ago, my family got to take a trip, and so we went through a couple different airports in order to take this trip. And it's always fun traveling with little ones through an airport, but it's even more fun when they don't understand what's going on, and so you have to explain everything to them. And I remember as we were leaving one of these airports, we were getting ready to go through this big, huge, revolving door. And it was a massive door, kind of intimidating, but you had to just walk through it. Now, it wasn't one of those revolving doors that you had to push. It moved automatically, but it also didn't keep moving. It only moved when somebody walked up to it. There were sensors, you know, to let it know when to move. And so you just kept walking. As long as you kept walking, you were able to walk through that door. And then it would stop and shut if there was no one around. We walk up to this door, and it was big enough. A section of the door was probably big enough for my whole family to fit in, but we didn't do that. Allison and Addie got, got in first, went through a section, and then uh, Alex and me were able to get in the door. And so we went in the door, and we're walking around. And as we did, Alex got a little bit scared, and he stopped. And when he did, the back of the section we were in hit him, and so the door just stopped. It stopped moving. It shut down for a few seconds, and that scared Alex even more. And he looked at me. He said, what happened, Daddy? I said, it's okay. You just stop. We just got to keep walking. It's like, I don't want to. I'm scared. Like, he was freaked out in this moment. And so I said, here, just grab my hand. It'll be fine. And we kept walking, and we went on through. You know, when I thought about that, I thought, that's how a lot of us live life. We see this big intimidating thing, whatever it is, in front of us, and we say, okay, we're going to do this, and then we try to go on through it, and in the midst of it, we get scared, and we let fear overwhelm us, and it cripples us, and we're not able to walk through. And what we need to remember is we have a Heavenly Father who's right there beside us, who's saying, grab my hand, I'll be with you, I will carry you, and we'll get through this because I've got something planned for you. I've got something prepared for you on the other side. God doesn't want us to live in fear don't let fear keep you from living the life that Jesus died for you to live. And that's why Jesus responds the way he does in Mark chapter 4. He said to his disciples, and we've already looked at this, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? He says this because Jesus wanted his disciples to understand something. He wanted them to understand that a boat that has him in it is never going to sink. And if that's true, if a boat that has Jesus in it won't sink, then what's also true is that a life that has Jesus in it won't sink. Now, this doesn't mean that we're not going to face storms. It doesn't mean that if Jesus walks with us, then we're not going to face hardships and hard times. It doesn't mean that we're not going to experience heartbreak. It doesn't mean that we're not going to experience loss or tragedy. We live in a fallen world, and so that's going to happen. But what it means is God will always be with us. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us. What it means is we can still have peace in the midst of that storm, knowing that he is still on our side and has a plan for us. That's why I like to always say the God who loves us is bigger than any storm we'll face. So trust him. Trust him. Because he knows what's best. Because here's the thing. The God who created the cosmos, who spoke everything into existence, the God who sent plagues on Egypt and parted the Red Sea, the God who knocked down the walls of Jericho, who gave David the strength to defeat Goliath, the God who stopped time by making the sun stand still, the God who walked on water, who healed lepers and blind people and lame men, 
The God who turned water into wine. The God who brought people back from the dead. The God who hung on the cross himself in order to pay the penalty of our sin and then rose from the dead on the third day to defeat the curse. The God who spoke to the wind and the waves and the wind and the waves obeyed him is the same God who's in the boat with us. It's the same God who is by our side. And who loves us more than anything. And when we trust him, we can have peace in the midst of the storm. Because when Jesus is at the center of your life, peace will be at the center of your soul. My two little ones, Alex and Addie, they have bad dreams, nightmares on occasion. Probably if you have little ones, they do too. And what's interesting to me is every time either one of them wakes up in the middle of the night with a nightmare, they always do one of two things. They either call out for mom and dad or they come running into our room every single time. And I'll never forget a few years ago when we were still living in Kentucky, Alex woke up in the middle of the night and he ran to our room and he was terrified. I mean, he was scared to death. So I looked at him and I said, buddy, did you have a bad dream? And he nodded his head yes. And I said, what was your dream about? I wanted to know what was scaring him. And he said, I don't know. He couldn't remember. He couldn't remember what his dream was about. But he was still terrified. And then he looked at me and he said, I just wanted to be close to you. You know, I've learned more about my Heavenly Father since I've been a dad myself than I ever thought I would. And in that moment, I learned something. I learned that ultimately, it doesn't matter what scares you enough to run. Ultimately, matters. Ultimately what matters is who you run to. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. We're going to face some scary things at life, but who are we going to run to? Are we going to run to the one who can command the winds and the waves and they obey him? When I was a student in Bible college, I had a weekend preaching ministry at a small little country church, about 30 people or so, and it was a great experience. And we used to sing hymns, only hymns, all the time. If it wasn't in the hymn book, we didn't sing it. And so I learned a lot of hymns that I didn't know, I never heard before. You know, the old rugged cross and victory in Jesus, I know all those. But there were some hymns we sang that I had never heard of before. And one of those hymns was a hymn entitled, Master, the Tempest is Raging. Master, the Storm is Raging. And I never heard that song before, but it was, it was an okay song. There wasn't anything wrong with it, but we sang it a lot. And I remember asking somebody one time, why do we sing this song? I mean, it's a song about the passage we just looked at about Jesus calming the storm. And I asked, why do we sing this song on a regular basis? Because it's not one of the most popular hymns out there. Why do we sing it? And apparently there was this older man in our church who requested this song over and over and over again. This man was pushing 90 years old. He had fought in war and seen things that none of us have seen or some of us have never seen. He was a man who had lost a daughter at one point and had to bury his own girl, his own daughter. He was a man who had faced various health issues, fought cancer a couple, times, a couple different times. Excuse me. He was also a man who was poor most of his life and at times had to scrape together enough money to feed his family, his kids, and his wife. 
he had been through a whole lot. He experienced a lot of storms. And now as an old man, he was kind of hunched over and he wore big thick glasses. He could barely see anything. He was hard of hearing and he had a cane that he walked with. And yet he wanted to sing this song over and over again. And I know why. The first verse of this song says this. Carest thou not. Okay, master, the tempest is raging. The billows are tossing high. The sky is overshadowed with blackness. No shelter or help is nigh. Carest thou not that we perish? How can thou lie asleep when each moment so madly is threatening a grave in the angry deep? That man had been there before numerous times in his 90 years. He had been there where he's prayed to God, and God, what's going on? I'm scared. God, I need you. God, where are you? He had prayed that prayer over and over again. But after 90 years of trusting God, he had got to this point, the chorus of the song. The winds and the waves shall obey your will. Peace be still. Whether the wrath of the storm-tossed sea or demons or men or whatever it be, no waters can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies. They all shall sweetly obey your will. Peace be still. Peace be still. They all shall sweetly obey your will. Peace, peace be still. One Sunday I got to church and our song leader was sick. And in a church of 30 people, when the song leader said, guess who's up? The preacher. And I can't sing. It's not in my area of giftedness, so don't get any ideas. I'm not going to do that here. But I led singing that Sunday. And right before I got up, that older gentleman came up to me. He said, hey, can we sing Master of the Tempest is Raging? I said, sure. And we sang it. And when we got to this point, point when it said, peace, peace, be still, I looked at that older gentleman, and he had a smile on his face, hunched over, holding his cane, but head high. Smiling, peace, peace, be still. You know why? Because he had learned in his 90 years that you can have peace in the midst of the storm when Jesus is in your boat. He had learned that in the presence of Jesus, our fears assume their proper size. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for today, for this time we had to open up your word and study it. And Father, I just pray that we can receive a message of hope knowing that even though there are a lot of things in our world to be afraid of, you are greater than any storm we face. And right now, I just want to say a special prayer over those who are watching from home, our many, many campuses that are across northeast Oklahoma and beyond. Father, I pray. I pray that you give them peace. I pray that they trust you. And that you allow for them to not just see the storm that is in front of them, but to see through it. To know that you love them and you have a plan for their lives. We place our hope, we place our trust in you. In the name of Jesus, the one who commands the wind and the waves, we pray. Amen.